Welcome to the Restaurant Boiler Room, Season 4, Episode 1. I'm your host, Rick Ormsby, Managing Director at Unbridled Capital. Today in the Boiler Room. After a wind sprint to the finish line in 2021, we're ready to start 2022 with a bang. Today, we will talk about franchise M&A trends anticipated in our industry in the first quarter of 2022 and beyond. The Restaurant Boiler Room is a one-stop shop for multi-million dollar merger and acquisition activity and financial complexities affecting the franchise restaurant industry. We talk money, deals, valuations, and risk delivered to the front door of franchisees, private equity firms, family offices, large investors, and franchisors on a monthly basis. Feel free to find our content at Unbridled Capital's website at www.unbridledcapital.com. Now, let's enter the boiler room. Well, hey, everybody. Happy New Year for 2022. Goodness gracious, I kind of feel like a hibernating bear here. I don't know how you all feel. I mean, we did kind of have a favorable placement of days over the holidays to be able to have maybe a little bit of an elongated Christmas break. I needed it, man. Woo. I don't know about 2021. I guess it was an incredible year for business, but it was also an incredibly challenging year, too. I'm sure you all feel the same way. I kind of feel like a little bit of a, of a hangover effect in early 2022, especially with this kind of Omicron thing going on. I don't know if you guys and gals have friends and family who who have gotten sick, but goodness gracious, it feels like half the people I know are sick or various types of things, flu or COVID or whatever it would be. So I expect we're going to have a little bit of uh, you know a slow start to 2022. In many ways, doesn't it feel like a little bit like 2021 started off too? I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go forward. It kind of feels like 2021 over again. Let's see if some of the if some of the trends and things that we saw play out in 2021 kind of come to fruition again this year or not. I just hope you guys had a, had a nice new year. As I get back into it, I'll share one little quick story with you. I like write a letter to myself every year, and then I open it up the next year on New Year's Eve, and then I like read it and then kind of read all the past letters from like the last 20 years which takes a while now, actually, because I try to make these letters long. And then I open up, a, and then I write another letter to myself that same night and then open it up the following year, if that makes sense. And it's amazing. Just And in those letters, I talk about family and faith and work and, you know, silly predictions about sports teams and economy and all kinds of crazy things about my kids and all kinds of stuff like that. And that's been a real joy, though, over the years to keep up with and just kind of watch how fickle this world is and how our decisions change and how even between one year to another, but certainly over the course of five or six or seven or 10 years, how how your life takes a path that you totally wouldn't have projected in many ways. You know, you could see God's hand on your life in a way that you, that you couldn't have ever have predicted if you look backwards 10 years and, and tried to predict what your life would have looked like. So that's kind of a neat little thing that I do. I encourage you to maybe pick that up if you have the time to do that over the holidays. There's usually a day in there between Christmas and New Year's that it's kind of slow. Family's kind of wrapped up and you're just sitting around watching football, right? And I just sit there on a laptop for about two hours and write these letters. So enough rambling, I suppose. 
first thing I guess I would say, I've got like a like an 18-point checklist here as I'm just looking at it of items that kind of pop into my head for franchise M&A trends for 2022 that I'd like to share with you as we get started on the year. And, you know, like all things, I express a lot of opinions. I'm not sure that all of them are right, but it's kind of how I'm seeing the industry right now. And we'll see it play out in the first quarter, in the second quarter, I'm sure. The first thing I would kind of say is what a year it was for M&A activity. Goodness gracious. I mean, from every type of franchise deal you you could imagine, we saw large franchisor deals. We saw small franchisor deals. We saw acquisitions of all kinds. We saw, you know, I'm just going to name a couple of them just, just to come off the top of my head, restaurant, you know, RBI restaurant brands, you know, who owns Burger King, Tim Hortons and Popeyes. They bought Firehouse Subs towards the end of the year, right? You know, we had Jack in the Box bought Del Taco. You had fat brands come in and buy a bunch of concepts, you know, like Fazoli's and Twin Peaks and, you know, all kinds of other ones. You even had, you know, private equity groups come in, you know, High Bluff Capital bought Church's Chicken. You saw a lot of large franchisees in the space kind of kind of change private equity hands, you know, especially there's several of them in Taco Bell, but in other brands too, like Planet Fitness, where you had new financial partners come in to buy or acquire these gigantic franchise businesses and place equity into them and kind of take out the old equity partner that might have been, I'm not sure, but might have had LPs forcing them out of the business after a five to seven year window. And we're trying to effectuate a year in 2021, you know, sale for tax purposes or timing reasons. So you saw that. And then, of course, you saw it even at the mid-scale franchisee level. You saw a lot of the older franchisees or the first and second generation franchisees of various sizes now, not just small ones, medium sized, large ones, you know, sell their businesses this year, too. We saw 2021 start off brisk, but it really kind of hit its stride between like March and June and then really July as well, where people were, you know, either selling for a number of reasons. One was performance related. Their business had been strong, both sales and profits. And, you know, labor last year at this time was was difficult, just like it is now in, in restaurants. And so that's a something that weighs on the mind of these operators and these business owners. And it's not just in franchising. It's all over the the industry all over the world, really, and all kinds of small business owners of various kinds feel the same way. I know people are getting a year older. You know, the threat of increased taxes kind of got the engine moving and made the deals briskly close with kind of a a big brick wall on December 31st. So that kept our little firm busy. Like, I'm blessed to tell you that we had a banner year. I mean, the best year ever at Unbridled. It was the most difficult, too. I mean, we worked our buns off, but we had 15 closings businesses that we sold in November and December alone, and eight of which, get this, eight of which happened in the final two weeks of the year. Obviously, there's big companies that can do that kind of volume every day, but for our firm, that's busy. And, you know, when you have those year-end pressures, and I'll talk a little bit more about about what I saw in those eight deals in the final two weeks of the year, but when you have those year-end pressures and you can't delay past December 31st, it certainly does force not only long hours, but sometimes difficult decisions, too. 
And, you know, I'm proud to say that I think we had 16 deals and 15 of them closed. So only one of them, and it's a very small one, hasn't closed and has gotten, you know, postponed indefinitely. It was my viewpoint when we were going into the fourth quarter of this year that because as we went along, we were feeling like the tax changes might not happen in 2021 at all, that we would see deals stretch into 2022. When I was out at Restaurant Finance in November, I mean, a lot of people were saying that their deals will stretch into 2022, but but very few of ours have. Most of ours did get accelerated and pushed into November, December. And, you know, I'd like to kind of give a shout out to all the different advisors and, and service providers and, and M&A advisors and lenders and real estate folks and, and attorneys and appraisers and surveyors and all these people who, you know, kind of come alongside the aspect of, of selling a company or refinancing a company, they're kind of quietly come alongside and they're usually down the path a bit. Like, you know, uh, you don't see appraisers getting involved or sometimes, you know, attorneys getting involved at the front end of deals, but they're very busy in the middle and end of deals. So those folks are, are probably fatigued right now and really kind of busted it in the last, you know, four to six weeks of the year. And so my hat's off to all you guys and gals who who were part of that effort, it was a it was a busy end of the year. And like I said earlier, I think there will be some sort of a, a hangover effect for the first three or four weeks of 2022. As, you know, many people just, I mean, frankly, just try to thaw after a stressful year end. I think you're going to see, you know, lenders, attorneys, and advisors kind of start the year slow. But I do think it will pick up. I mentioned a little bit about Senator Manchin's refusal to agree, or the, maybe I didn't say it exactly this way, but Senator Manchin kind of at the last you know, 11th hour in 2021 kind of came out and said he refused to sign the Build Back Better spending legislation. And so, you know, and I just saw him on Fox News just uh, yesterday saying it's tabled and he's not in any active discussions. I'm sure everybody's, you know, going to get back after the after the hangover here in Washington and pile together and do their usual incompetent get-togethers and try to reinvigorate some of this tax and spend legislation. But I do think there is a little bit of renewed optimism for some of us that tax policies, you know, may not change substantially before midterm elections this year. I think that's something that we'll just kind of continue to watch, right? But I mean, maybe the Democrats will try to slam through some egregious tax legislation, but it doesn't look like they got the votes from Manchin and others potentially to do it. So my guess is you see any kind of legislation get scaled back, and it's hopeful that taxes won't change materially, especially capital gains taxes that we we all fear so much when we sell, when we buy and sell things, especially when we sell things. So let's hope that that stays pretty much status quo in 2022. We'll see. And so we have that going on. In our business, we see a lot of folks, like I said earlier, are sick with with Omicron COVID variant right now. I mean, it's goodness gracious. I, I just, uh, you know, here in the panhandle of Florida, I think half the people in the, in, in the town I live in have it. So I'm sure this is going to cause a short-term pinch on labor availability for some franchisees. I was talking to a franchisee just yesterday, and he told me, he said, the drive-through is going to continue to be king, drive-through and delivery. And if you can staff your restaurants, you're going to be able to do about as much in sales as you want to do. Every bit is, is that you want to do for the next couple of weeks and maybe months. I thought that was kind of an interesting comment. So seems like sky's the limit for sales if you can keep the stores staffed. I know it's an issue, though, right? I mean, look at the news talking about 
travel delays and you know travel cancellations because there aren't enough people in, in airplanes and airports. So keep a watch on that. Let's hope we get through that with minimal hospitalizations and deaths. But I know it's going to be weighing on our minds in the early part of January here. Another reason why we might have a little bit of a hangover for the first few weeks. So as we look at sales trends, probably being strong. I mean, January traditionally in the restaurant and the franchise business is a time to be talking about value, right? With new promotions. It was when I used to work at Young Brands, that was always the time we talked about value. You know, you always wanted to talk about six of this for whatever price or eight of this for whatever price or two of this for whatever price. We're not seeing as much focus on value now, obviously, because pricing has come up quite a bit and folks are looking to offset inflationary pressures. And so, you know, I I just noticed that KFC is an example instead of coming out with a value message, is coming out with a pretty cool message for Beyond Meat. So they're going to have like a Beyond Meat chicken substitute bucket of chicken in a green bucket that's coming out, I believe, on Monday, which would be like Monday the 10th of January. That'll cause a lot of buzz, a limited time offer type of menu item that's not permanently in the stores. You know, any type of new news brings what we hope to be and we call trial And trial is where, you know, either elapsed or existing or new customers come just because they see and hear about it and want to give it a try. And then when you get new trial, you hope you can, you know, keep them, you know, wow them and keep them uh, coming back more often. And if they do come back more often, right, you want to, you want to upsell them and get them to increase their check average. That's why we do the, you know, why restaurant companies do the new promotions. But typically you do see more value orientation. I mean, think about New Year's Eve when you watch the ball drop. If you stayed up that late, I did make it till, yay, till midnight Eastern time down here in the Panhandle. We're on Central time, so I didn't make it to midnight Central, but I made it to midnight Eastern. And obviously when you watch the ball drop in New York, you see all the Planet Fitness signs everywhere, right? They're a big sponsor. And of course, they're doing their $0 entrance fee or whatever, and you know initiation fee, and then $10 a month. So value, value, value is typically kind of communicated. But this year, we do see some food cost inflationary pressures, and they're at record levels. I mean, they really are. We've seen pricing come down a little bit in some of the construction areas of our country, but I mean, goodness, for food, wing prices are remarkably high. I've confidentially seen, you know, heard of a couple of comments from from franchisors saying that they expect major food inflation in their companies and, and, and with their franchise businesses and with their delivery models for 2022. And I think we're going to see some big, instead of value, which which will be a theme, it always is, I think we're going to see some big pricing initiatives in most brands at the start of the year. You know, if you assume that most of your pricing sticks, you know, every time you just add pricing, you're, you're really kind of adding for every dollar you increase your products, you, you should be getting 90% profit, right? Because it doesn't cost any money. To, the only thing you have to pay is royalties and advertising fees. Everything else should flow straight to the bottom line. But at some point when your prices get too high, you see demand fall. So I personally have talked about this recently, the prices, and, and, and it's not the operator's fault. Inflation has been incredible, and it's hard to get labor but prices going through the drive-thru window are expensive. So let's watch that for 2022. I mean, given some of the trends I've talked about, you know, like taxes haven't increased, you know, Omicron being out there, it's going to pinch labor a little bit, food inflation costs, but sales trends probably going to be strong, especially with concepts that have delivery and drive through sales. I mean, just kind of like those four trends, along with the operators maybe looking at their peers and their brethren that sold in 2021 and kind of thinking, oh, I want to do it too. Maybe I missed the boat, but maybe the party's still going to go. 
I think we should see a fair number of deals in 2022. I've, you know, here we are sitting, I mean, at the time of me talking to you now, it's the 5th of January. I've gotten like three phone calls so far from fairly decent sized companies, first and second generation franchisees looking to sell in 2022. So it is slow. It's quiet for the first couple of weeks, but but that's, you know, and, and we had a fairly big push in December too. I think we had five or six, maybe seven businesses that we had on the market in December, which is somewhat high given the fact that we were in closing mode, trying to get deals closed, not introducing as many new deals. So I think I expect this trend to continue, especially as we head into February, which is traditionally the busiest time of year for engaging in new assignments, you know, February, April, and March. People dust off their year in P&Ls and then they start, you know, get going. So I expect it'll be a good start from what I've seen in December with new deals that we have. And then in January with the phone calls I've gotten already, the first five days, really four days of the year, I suspect it'll be a decent start to 2022 once we thaw a little bit. And maybe then it does look a little bit to me and remind me a little bit of the start of 2021 from an M&A perspective. I mean, think about some of the similarities, right? You had... Think back to December or you know January 1st of 2021. You know, drive-through and delivery were still king, right? I mean, we had you know kind of regulations and we, we you know you know dining room mandates were just coming out. Most people were still fearful and afraid to go into dine in restaurants. I mean, I think that that has changed a little bit. Our perceptions have changed. Our level of comfort has changed, but but that's still a concern. COVID is still in play, right? Just yesterday, they said over, what, a million one cases just yesterday? To my knowledge, like two or three times higher than what it ever was in any single day throughout the pandemic. So COVID is still in play, unfortunately. I didn't know that we'd be dealing with it like this at this time in 2022. Labor is difficult to find, but you know, it was difficult to find last year at the same time. Taxes have not increased but are looming. And I think that's still, I mean, that that's what we were talking about in early January. Sales are still fairly strong. The interest rates are fairly low, you know, fairly very low. There's still a lot of capital in the marketplace. Asset prices are still somewhat inflated. Capital availability is there. The lending market is is pretty strong, maybe tightening a bit. So you mean, we have kind of the same type of drivers in place for 2022 that we had in 2021. So I'm not sure exactly how it plays out. I don't think it'll be as good of a, you know, as robust of a year for maybe, you know, anybody in 2022 as it was in 2021, but but I might be wrong about that. And if we don't get any geopolitical kind of things kind of rolling down the pike that smack us in the head, I mean, I, I could foresee or, you know, any massive recessionary issues or wars or whatever it would be. I, I kind of feel like 2022 might be a junior league version of 2021. So We'll see how that plays out. Valuations for 2022, I think, will remain strong. I do think they might subside a little bit in certain brands as EBITDA is challenged and lending has tightened a little bit. Valuations are largely built on what your EBITDA is and what the EBITDA multiple is. Take the EBITDA times the multiple, simply put, and you get a general price, right? It's way more complicated than that, but that's kind of, you know, kind of a, an overview. So there's two questions. What's going to happen to pricing, right? Like what's going to happen to EBITDA and what's going to happen to the EBITDA multiple? It's all over the board. In some brands, you're you're seeing EBITDA is going to drop. I think that's definitely going to happen. And it may not happen until P3, P4, you know, you know, maybe start of the second quarter. Some brands are just continuing to take off and sales are killing it. 
you know, some already have sales down. And if your sales are down with, uh, you know, cost pressures being so high, you would be sure that your EBITDA is going to be down, right? So EBITDA is kind of all over the board. The EBITDA multiple, I do believe, is going to be pretty constant. It may drop in some brands. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit more detail here in just a minute. In essence, the EBITDA multiple is basically what someone's willing to pay, you know, on the EBITDA itself. So let's say EBITDA, and this is a crazy thing to say, but let's just say EBITDA is not changing. In this darn environment, it's changing every day. But let's say EBITDA is not changing. Then the EBITDA multiple is kind of how you kind of look at the EBITDA multiple going up or going down as a factor of supply and demand. So that being said, I do think we're going to have a little bit of a change in dynamic in supply and demand in 2022. I mean, we had a lot of deals in 2021, and there's only so many players in our industry And most folks sit on the bigger players or sitting on a big, several big acquisitions in 2021. They borrowed a lot of money. They've got new equity partners. They're digesting new acquisitions. I just think there's only so much demand from the existing franchise base. And so we're going to have to find more demand from things like new private equity entrants, new family office entrants. And maybe independent sponsors, too. And I'll talk a a bit about independent sponsors in a minute. Really something you might not be surprised to hear as we get to the latter stages of an upcycle of selling any kind of asset. You know, it maybe starts with the neighboring franchisee buying the other franchisee. Then the second cycle is the larger franchisee decides to to buy non-contiguous franchisee. Then you see kind of existing private equity folks get involved in other brands. You see franchisors acquire other franchisors. But you see in the kind of the later stages, I think you see more of the financial types of buyers entering the space as the deal sizes, the deal prices, just the latter nature of the run here makes it such that there's more potentially sellers than buyers in these markets. That's just a quick commentary. Like I said, I I think we expect several interest rate hikes this year. So borrowing costs are going to increase. You know, that's going to affect how much someone's willing to pay for an asset. I hope the borrowing costs increase in somewhat of a muted fashion and, you know, kind of kind of slowly over time. I mean, the Fed has already, we already got all kinds of guesses about how many times they'll raise and when they'll do it. But clearly, borrowing costs are going to have to come up to tame some of the inflationary pressures in our country. So expect that to affect our industry and the lenders in in certain ways. And, you know, I do expect lending to tighten up. And, you know, I think you start to see it a little bit. We had one particular deal at the end of the year where, I mean, to tell you, like it was December 28th and the lender backed away and was a no-show at closing. And it was a huge deal. And it ended up happening because the seller and buyer worked out a seller financing note for a short amount of time. It was a big number, but the lender didn't show. I do think we're going to have a little bit more scrutiny in the banking community, especially with the the risk folks. And so be careful as you walk into 2022, if you're borrowing money, I might ask your bank rep, if you're doing a deal, how many deals did they do in 2021 and how many did they back away from once they issued term sheets? Those are reasonable questions to ask. Like people always ask unbridled, like how many deals do you take and how many do you close? And I'm honored to say that we keep right at a 90% success rate, which like you've heard me say before is incredible, unheard of, first best in the industry, you know, type of number. Ask that of your lender to see 
what their performance has been, especially going into 2022, and and be maybe a little scrutinous as you as you ask about kind of their risk departments and and kind of how they're structured and what their feeling is for for this year. So there's a pretty good balance at the moment between supply and demand between buyers and sellers. That's that's a good thing, right? So I'm happy about that. And this general principle of supply and demand of buyers and sellers should keep valuations mostly in line as long as financial performance stays the same. Remember what I said earlier, right? Like as long as EBITDA stays the same, valuations should mostly be in line because the EBITDA multiple should stay relatively in line if we have kind of an equilibrium of buyers and sellers in the markets. Just, you know, microeconomics, one, or, you know, is it macroeconomics 101? Yeah. So keep that principle in mind. It is true that perhaps because of a high number of deals for sale in 2021, you know, we at Unbridled started to notice fewer offers on individual deals as the year went on. And so that's a little bit concerning. And I guess we'll see if this trend continues. You know, it's not the same for every single brand. It's very difficult to make a broad comment when all these brands operate so differently from one another. But if I had to like, you know, and I don't have any data here, but if I had to kind of give you a bit of a view, an opinion of how it started. Like in April, you know, average business we had for sale may have 10 to 11 offers on it. And then businesses we had for sale in in November and December might have had six offers on them. Does that make sense? That's totally not the same for any particular brand, right? I mean, it's just like a broad comment. So, you know, if you're a seller of a company, I mean, the comment I would say is six offers, if that's the number of offers, you know, given this example, is still plenty to make a market at the same price as always for your business. But, you know, if it's in a brand that's kind of not doing well, a brand that may have had mediocre performance during, you know, the last couple of years, certainly, or a brand that was boosted by COVID temporarily in sales and profits, but did so without really any change to its business approach, who just kind of hit the rising tide of COVID and basically didn't do anything about it to change the way they were doing business. If that average of 11 to 6, and you're in a brand that's kind of mediocre or temporarily COVID popped, you might have been like 6, and now you're at 3 offers. You see, you see what I mean? And at some level... If the interest in the brand drops to only a couple of offers, then you have quick changes in valuation because the demand is lower than the supply. And those types of drops in valuation are somewhat unpredictable and they can happen very, very quickly. They can happen like at the, I mean, literally at the drop of a dime. I'm not kidding. I've seen it in December. We saw it on one particular deal. Like we saw, a, you know, maybe a 10% drop in valuation, bam, like that. Not because of anything other than there wasn't as much demand and we weren't sure why there wasn't as much demand. It was likely because there were more deals in the market and people were just busy as we got to year end. But we got to watch and see if this trend continues at all. The basic premise is still the same. If you have an awesome business that's kicking butt, you're going to find buyers at good prices in this market. Lending is still cheap. You know, a lot of the conditions are still the same that they've been over the last couple of years. So I'm not worried about that. But if you're a mediocre business and your sales aren't up or you've just had temporary increases, be wary, you know, and it may change your strategy as you think through trying to sell a company in 2022, right? If I'm right and we start picking up in February and March and we get a big increase in supply and I'm not sure about demand, but let's just say... 
that the year-end you know push left a lot of people on the sidelines for 2022 because they're just full of you know of debt and swallowing the acquisitions that they made. If all of that is true, right? Then as we move forward, we're going to progressively have more of a supply demand issue. And that would mean if it's true, and there's a lot of ifs, ifs and ands, right? If that's true, then that would mean that valuations could drop progressively as we move forward in supply increases, which I just told you supply typically increases in February, March, April, and then even May. As you think through this, what does this mean? I think it means that if you were going to sell a business, you would want to sell it early in 2022 and not wait until the second quarter or the third quarter because of a fear of greater supply than demand. You know, again, I don't know if I'm right about that. I mean, I've been doing this a long time, but I've been wrong a lot too. But uh, that's, that's kind of my, just some, you know, just some commentary, some thoughts to, to noodle with. Here's an example that may make sense to you, right? We've got some friends around here in Florida that are realtors, right? And a lot of them are telling me now, like, prices have run up a lot, you know, for these homes around here. Everyone wanted to come to Florida, buy a second home, move their business down here, all the things they wanted to do. And now, you know, prices had a huge run up and there was like one day and you had 10 offers on these homes. But a lot of my friends and colleagues down here that, that delve into, into real estate are now telling me that homes are sitting without the multiple offers and homeowners are having to kind of reprice their houses and drop the prices a little bit, either in small chunks or in one big chunk to make the sale happen at this current time. The question is, is that because we're just in January and December and it's at the end of the year or will that trend continue, right? So be thinking about, I mean, if you can visualize the real estate market in your hometown operating that way, then be thinking about the valuations of these restaurant businesses, these large deals, middle-sized deals, all kinds of deals kind of operating in the same kind of fashion. All right. I do expect a larger percentage of deals because of the supply-demand issue to go to new private equity and new family office entrance into the franchise space this year. We've started seeing them in December on several of our deals. Kind of, as I said before, many of the existing operators just had borrowed a lot of money and they were busy closing deals. We all talk about private equity, but in the mid-sized M&A market and franchising, there aren't really that many new private equity people that come in and out. And we're starting to see them now, and I think we're going to see more of them. The deals they do are subject to a lot more risk at first. So they typically pay high prices, but they are also, you know, they go through what what we call exploratory due diligence, which is like they make an offer, but they're not even sure about the brand or about the conditions of the stores that they make an offer on. And they have to do like a month of exploratory diligence before they'll send an LOI and then subject to confirmatory diligence, which is more, which is more in line with the quality of earnings and inspection of the assets and some of the things that we're in this industry more traditionally used to. So just be beware as the trend changes if more new private equity entrants and family office entrants come into the franchise space and come downrange a little bit at the smaller platform investments like the 30, 40, 50, 60 unit deals. You're going to be seeing that the time to complete these deals is going to change. It's going to increase And the knowledge of the specific brand is going to decrease and kind of the process will change a little bit. And so I think this is an opportunity for those folks listening who are existing operators, existing family office franchisees or franchisors and existing private equity groups 
because you're going to shine if you're already in a brand and you're already operating in a brand, you're already approved by a brand, you've already negotiated and agreed to a relationship agreement and a development agreement with a brand, you're going to be you know, much more favored across a spectrum of offers as opposed to somebody who is making their offer subject to exploratory due diligence, if that makes sense. You know, another trend, I'm, I'm on point like 16 here, <laughs> we're seeing is more independent sponsors are making offers on our businesses. This is kind of an interesting trend, right? And I've also seen more people, minority investors and equity, minority equity providers. And when I mean minority, I mean people who want to come in and take out a sliver of a deal, like they want to, you know, be a passive investor with 20% of the equity into a deal, don't want to control the operation or put in a majority of the equity. So you're seeing a lot a lot more of those types of people in our deals, and I'm sure in the industry too. So you're seeing independent sponsors and minority equity providers. They're showing up you know, more, progressively more, quite a bit more really in the last several months. And I think this trend is higher than what we've seen in the past, and it could be noteworthy going forward. Just so you know, an independent sponsor just kind of basically described as somebody who makes an offer on a business and they don't have all the equity kind of identified when they make the offer which is a little bit different. It's kind of like making an offer on a house and you don't have the down payment, right? So these folks typically are seasoned professionals. Some of them are financial professionals coming out of big firms in New York. Some of them are operators. Some of them are a mixture of the two. So, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different types of, of independent sponsors. They typically have the wherewithal to operate a business or find operators, and they typically have relationships. They probably have some equity, but not all of it. So they make offers that are contingent on going to equity and finding the equity once they've gotten their offer accepted. Now, from a seller's standpoint, that's typically not the type of financial and execution risk that you'd like to take unless you have to. So, but, you know, as the supply and demand curve may change in 2022, sellers may take a flyer and decide to to let an independent sponsor who is aggressive and, and impressive and learned and, you know, and all these things might give them three or four weeks to see if they can come up with the money and come up with the plan to get the deal done. So that's something to watch for in 2022. I do think last uh, couple of comments, I think I've said this, you know, I've said this a couple of times about lenders being a little bit more cautious in 2022, especially as comps and inflationary pressures need to be addressed. You know, finally, I think the last comment is just, I do believe this is going to be the year that we see a big backlog of casual dining and fast casual deals enter the market. Let that settle for just a second. They just haven't been around because they haven't been profitable enough. The sales haven't recovered enough. A lot of these types of operators operate decent-sized businesses and have been trying to do workouts with their landlords and workouts with their lenders. But their businesses have started to improve. Many of them are, are comping last year or close to comping last year for like four or five months right now, which means as they get into probably Q2 or Q3, they're going to be showing pretty close to a full year of hopefully improved sales and profitability. And that's really how these businesses typically trade, not entirely, but typically trade on a trailing 12-month financial statement. So I think you're going to start seeing a big backlog of those deals kind of start coming into the market in the second and third quarters of 2022. And they frankly, these deals have been very, very thin over the past few years. So expect that to add to the supply demand curve. I think overall, I expect 2022 to be a good balanced year. Let's watch it and see what happens. You know, it's always eventful and we'll continue to be aggressive and be out there. I do see 2021 and 2022 starting to look a little bit alike from a start of the year standpoint. So if that holds to fruition, 
we could be in for a bigger 2022 than than maybe many people expect. In all things, I hope you guys, everybody has a, a safe and awesome and healthy start to 2022. God bless and we'll catch up next time around. Thanks so much for entering the Boiler Room today. You can find our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you like these podcasts, please listen, rate, and review. I also encourage you to visit our website at www.unbridledcapital.com for the best franchise M&A and financial resources in the industry. Our website includes webinars, podcasts, videos, white papers, and a list of our past M&A transactions. Please note that neither Rick Ormsby nor Unbridled Capital Advisors, LLC, give legal, financial, or tax advice. These podcasts represent opinions that have been prepared for informational purposes only. We expressly disclaim any and all liabilities that may be based on such information, errors therein, or omissions therefrom.